You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with a major development in a series of violent sexual assaults dating back more than a decade. 14 years after the first attack, Vancouver police have made an arrest. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, the suspect is already back on the street. Arturo Garcia Gorhan is a Vancouver area electrician and bartender. And now he's charged with four sexual assaults involving four different women in a cold case that dates back 14 years, one that left many women fearful. Last month, investigators from our sex crimes unit traveled to Regina, Saskatchewan. With help from the Regina Police Service, they arrested a 45-year-old suspect in connection with the unsolved crimes. The first sex assault happened in July 2009. A 20-year-old woman walking near Granville Island was violently attacked. Four months later, a 25-year-old woman was sexually assaulted while entering a West End apartment. Seven months after, a third young woman was attacked in Yaletown. This male is a predator. Um, he's targeting these women and he's taking the opportunity to attack uh, when they're in a vulnerable position. At the time, police launched Project Scrimmage, creating a website and placing QR codes in bathrooms in downtown clubs and bars. Still nothing. Then, this January, more than a decade later, a break in the case. Investigators were able to link a fourth sex assault from 2010. VPD won't comment on the evidence, which would logically involve DNA. Are you able to say if DNA played a role in the case? I'm not able to speak about the specifics of the evidence at this time. Vancouver police say they've informed the four alleged victims and will review other unsolved cases. We will certainly be uh, looking at that very, very carefully, not only within the city of Vancouver, but across the country with our partners to see if there are any other links to other cases that he may be involved in. Arturo Garcia Gorhan was released from jail despite facing four sexual assault allegations and despite Vancouver police requesting he be kept in custody. His next court appearance is September 12th. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Fire crews battling the huge Bush Creek East Fire in the Shuswap, but breathing a sigh of relief tonight. The strong winds forecast for the past day didn't materialize. Through Tuesday afternoon and evening, gusty winds did drive some growth in the flames near Sorrento and the Turtle Valley, but containment lines in those areas held. Cooler, damp conditions are expected in the coming days, making for favorable firefighting conditions. We uh, do have a cooling trend that uh, is happening over the next couple of days. Uh, we're really happy about that, and we hope that you will be too. Include some rain, so good conditions for our firefighters. That said, the area still has uh, active evacuation orders and alerts, so residents should remain on alert and be prepared to leave the, leave the area immediately if required. The fire is mapped at more than 43,000 hectares and is still classified as out of control. Rain and cooler temperatures are helping the firefight in the Okanagan. Cloudy skies over the lake are just what firefighters have been hoping for after a massive response Tuesday prompted by strong winds that fanned the flames of the McDougal Creek fire. Almost 125 firefighters were called into action and managed to contain the blaze. And while the rain does help, the West Kelowna Fire Chief says it will be some time before that fire can finally be considered out. 
Today, much quieter uh, on the front lines. The rain has obviously dampened down the, the fire activity that we were seeing yesterday. Um, and we're, we're looking forward to maybe a little bit more rain and some cooler weather will have an influence on the fire behavior. It's not going to put the fire out. It's going to take a lot more rain than, than what we're seeing. Um, so this will continue to be with us, but it will give us a bit of a reprieve. There are still more than 400 properties on evacuation order in the central Okanagan. The regional district is setting up bus tours for owners whose properties were destroyed in the fire. More than a week after a travel ban was lifted in the South Okanagan, the region's tourism sector is still struggling. That ban was put into place August 9th, covering non-essential stays at local hotels and campgrounds for several days due to the wildfire in West Kelowna. South Okanagan hotels went down to 50% occupancy and have yet to bounce back. Tourism in the area was already expected to take a $15 million hit after the cancellation of the Ironman Triathlon. It's not just the hotels that lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's all of our tourist operators. It's all of our restaurants and our wineries and our, our breweries, our cideries, everything that makes the South Okanagan a place to visit. Some businesses have also faced abuse from people who've been unable to get their non-refundable deposits back, prompting some to call for better communication and financial support when decisions like the travel ban are made. Well, drivers who've been impacted by a rock slide on Highway 97 near Summerland will have to wait a little while longer before the road reopens. An aerial assessment that was completed yesterday actually identified a further risk of rockfall. Um, we're seeing tension cracks up there around two to three meters wide and even up to five meters deep or over five meters deep. Um, so obviously a significant, uh, significant concern uh, for safety of that highway. Monitoring equipment is being installed today to help with the assessment of the slide, additional risks and remediation options. Given the complexity of the work, the Transportation Ministry says it will be days before that stretch can fully reopen. But there is some good news for drivers between Penticton and Kelowna who've been forced to detour for hours along several highway routes. As we speak, crews are on the 201 Forest Service Road doing some grading and installing some directional signage as well, just so when motorists get up there, they can safely navigate it. Uh, so that work is ongoing. And then we're actually also working on another forest service road called the Trout Main Forest Service Road, and that'll be for residents between Summerland and Peachland, uh, where we're doing the same thing. We've got graders out there. We're going to install directional signage. We'll have regular patrols uh, from our crews, um, and that will um, cut down on a little bit of the detour impacts for those residents as well that are more local and not just looking to go Penticton to Kelowna. The goal is to have those two detours functional by Thursday night. Four properties just north of the slide area are on evacuation alert due to the ongoing threat of a rock slide. Well, with the new COVID-19 variant now officially detected in BC, there are questions about how quickly it could spread. The vaccination program has slowed down here in recent months, but officials warn this new variant is a sign that COVID never really left. Kamal Karamali looks at where we're heading into the fall. The new COVID-19 variant is here. So if you thought that COVID was gone, this is a reminder that COVID never left. The name BA286 confirmed in the Fraser Health region. The patient never having left the province. The real issue with this is that the mutation pattern was concerning and certainly raised an eyebrow. Raising questions on how protected the province's population is against this new variant. 
We know that we, the best things that we can do are staying up to date on our vaccinations. But data shows most are not. According to the government of Canada, more than 83% of the province has two doses, but only 11% were fully vaccinated or received a booster in the first half of 2023. Northern BC has the worst rates in the province, with just over 40% having one booster and just over 20% receiving two. And as kids across the province get ready to head back indoors to classrooms, only 40% of those ages 5 to 11 in the province are fully vaccinated, but fewer than 3% in the first six months of this year have received the shot. All of this having parents concerned whether classrooms will become super spreader sites for this new variant. We can't stop this virus from coming. What we can do is take all those preparations that we usually do as we go into the fall. Which means getting a booster and monitoring the spread of the new variant, but health experts nowhere near ready to push the panic button. The protection against mild disease is probably wearing off to some extent in many people who haven't had a shot in a year or so. But the protection against severe disease, hospitalization and death probably is well maintained. There will be an updated COVID booster shot set to be released by the end of September. Kamal Karamali, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this latest variant and what Dr. Henry is saying about whether this might trigger mandates again or perhaps a return to masking, Keith. Bottom line, no, we're not going back there. So uh, we've seen in recent weeks the reemergence of some of these small groups of parents and some doctors saying we've got to go back with school reopening to have such things as mandatory masks and such. But Dr. Bonnie Henry says, no, we're not going there because we're in a different phase now in the pandemic. We have high vaccinations and the goal here is to get people vaccinated and to continue to pr practice safe uh, health practices. The clip you're about to hear, we could have heard this last year. It's the same advice because things haven't changed even with the emergence of, of this new variant. Not a lot is known about it, so this may change uh, going forward. But as it stands now, the mass mandate was then. It's not going forward. I don't think we're in the same place that we were at the height of the pandemic when mask mandates were required. We know that we, the best things that we can do are staying up to date on our vaccinations, taking those regular precautions like covering your mouth when you cough, washing your hands regularly, and really importantly, you know, checking in with yourself and your children and making sure if you are sick with something that can pass on to others, that you stay away from people. She was even more blunt off camera. I talked to her after that. It was actually in this office, of course. And she said, I'm not and we're not going to force kids to wear masks in schools. It's not gonna, anything that's being contemplated, not now and likely not through the school year. In terms of the new vaccine, as Kamal reported, available at the end of September, it'll be rolled out similar to other vaccines. Uh, vulnerable uh, people are going to be first in line, long-term care patients and such. Frontline healthcare workers are also first in line. And then it'll be age-based. The expectation is that the, the take-up won't be as great as previous previous vaccinations, which means the old kids, if they want to get vaccinated, likely will have access to the vaccine sooner than they would previously under other vaccine rollouts. All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria tonight. Well, the BC Teachers Federation is sounding the alarm days before the beginning of school. The union says a teacher shortage is reaching crisis proportions and children could end up paying the price. Cassidy Moscone reports. Six sleeps until school's back. At least the BC Teachers Federation sure hopes so. Some of the school districts have been concerns about opening schools. 
uh, or parts of the district because they're not sure they can get staff. A grim warning from the union that teacher shortages in our province have hit crisis mode. Each year it's getting worse. We've been trying to uh, sound the alarm for years. We don't know exactly how many vacant positions there are. Do you know, have any numbers on how many teachers we're short? Global labour shortage is a reality and we know that we face that in our education sector. Getting a raw number on how many we're short in classrooms to make sure schools can open and every child has a teacher in front of them supporting them, that shouldn't be that hard. Surrey schools are growing. Construction creating more than a thousand new seats across the district. Nearly 250 of them are complete here at KB Woodward Elementary. The teachers union says staffing levels need to keep up. We have added more than 250 seats uh, uh, to, to make sure that uh, anybody who wants to get into the profession has the seat and has the training to do that. Uh, but it is, uh, it is an issue. We recognise that uh, and uh, we'll keep on working with our partners uh, and strategising how to resolve it. You can draw all the people you want in, um, but if it's, if it's not an affordable career, you're looking at areas of the province where we're one of the most expensive jurisdictions in the world. It's not affordable career. The workload means that you're going to burn out in five to ten years and have to leave and pursue something else. An equation of low supply, high demand. BC's children depend on the solution. Cassidy Mosconi, Global News. A court ruling in China could have local consequences. Why this Burnaby house is at the heart of a case involving a five-year love affair and the spurned wife who's looking for payback next on the news hour i don't have a you know a a athletic background i come from an architectural background from the drawing board to the paddleboard an architect's attempt to break a world record still to come tonight plus why the pne's thrill ride was more like a walk in the park today Wooden coaster woes later on the news hour. Right now, though, a Chinese retiree says her husband unjustly transferred millions of dollars to his mistress here in BC. And now she's asking a BC judge to right the wrong. It's family law. It's a family law case with an international dimension that's becoming more and more common in BC. Rumina Dea has the story. This Burnaby home is at the center of an international legal battle which started in China and is now before B.C. Supreme Court. Si Wang, a retiree from China, is suing her husband's alleged mistress, Danny Zhu, for millions, including control over this property. Ms. Zhu, are you home? It's Romina Dea from Global News. I need to speak to you about the lawsuit. According to court documents, Huang alleges her husband gave his younger mistress the money, which was used to buy the Burnaby home. Huang claims roughly 25 million Chinese yuan was unlawfully transferred to the mistress from their joint account without her knowledge. This works out to approximately $4.6 million Canadian. The Burnaby home is worth just over $3 million, based on the latest BC assessment numbers. The sole owner listed as Danny Zhu. Wang says a court in Nantong, China, ruled in her favour, and she wants that decision to be enforced by the court here in British Columbia. The big things are, one, the decision has to be final and not under appeal. Two, it has to have been obtained fairly. And three, 
it's not a decision that would shock the conscience of a B.C. judge. None of the allegations in the notice of civil claim have been proven in court here. Zhu has yet to file a response to the lawsuit. Romina Dea, Global News. A man has now been arrested and charged in relation to a string of arsons in Victoria and Saanich. Following an investigation by the Victoria Police Major Crime Unit, 42-year-old Edwin Singh has now been charged with four counts of arson. No one was hurt in the incidents, but there was significant property damage in the four fires. Singh is accused of setting, including this July 12th blaze at a Government Street car dealership. Just ahead, look ma, no driver. Well, personally, I feel like it's quite a big danger. What British Columbians think of self-driving cars hitting the streets. Plus, a controversial market gets set to move. Where the downtown Eastside vendors will be setting up shop and why some are worried they'll be pushed out. Extra delays over here for northbound traffic at the Patello Bridge after clearing a minor accident involving a motorcycle at mid-span. Still slow out of Surrey on the approach. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services, and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Patello Bridge. Well, today is the last day for the controversial downtown Eastside Market at its current location. The market is set to reopen at a new spot next month. But as Krista Dow reports, that location is about a quarter the size and vendors are worried they'll be pushed out. It's eviction day at the downtown East Side Street Market. By the end of the day today, there will be nothing on this lot but pavement. Vendors and operators packing up after being told to clear out. The city of Vancouver's lease expiring by end of day Wednesday. The lot slated for redevelopment. Very high anxiety. There's a lot of confusion right now. Come mid-September, the market will be moved indoors a few blocks away. We've only known about the new location for about a week. But not everyone is coming with. We are in a space that is about half of what the last space was. And now we're going down to a market that's going to be about a quarter of this market. Operators say they're concerned about the lack of consultation and the size of the new space, which can only accommodate about 10 to 15 vendors, down from about 45. There's some that have been vending in whatever version of the markets for 10 plus years. Many of those merchants may be shut out. I've been a serious collector ever since I was like three years old. Including Jason Taylor, who's been selling for 15 years. That is one of my major concerns is having to go back out on the sidewalk and then We want a flea market. We'll have one. And if they're going to give us that tiny little space, three quarters of us are, are going to be out on the street. That street spillover not being condoned by the city. However, Vancouver police tell us they won't be cracking down on any bylaw violations. We don't plan to um, conduct uh, ticketing enforcement. That's not an enforcement priority for us. Working together, lots of sharing of tents and tables. Cold comfort for the vendors now fearing a loss of their community. We're like one big family. And if you take that away from us, we don't really have much. And there's more uncertainty on the way as the lease on this new building expires in January with the site set for demolition. Krista Dow, Global News. 
Cities around the world have been looking to supercharge their self-driving car industries by introducing autonomous vehicles on roadways. But a new UBC study finds people in this province are split on how safe those vehicles can be. Troy Charles finds out just how close SDVs are to becoming a reality. Picture this, you're waiting at a crosswalk. You look to the car approaching and realize it's a self-driving vehicle. It's pretty scary, the thought that it's like a camera or a machine that's actually doing the job of stopping. Once the technology is developed enough, then it should be fine. Gurdiljot Singh Gill and the Research on Active Transportation Lab at UBC have released a new study looking into SDVs and their effects on pedestrian safety. Let's try to learn how we could responsibly introduce these self-driving vehicles so that we do not undo all the progress in these active modes. The study engaged over a thousand people across the province with results showing that 41% would feel reduced safety during SDV interactions. Usually if I'm crossing the crosswalk, I make eye contact with the person who's driving, I give them a little hand, hey, I'm crossing, but then if there's a self-driving car, of course I would wait for it to stop at the crosswalk. Over 90% of participants are in agreement on regulations. There's a clear consensus in terms of regulating these vehicles. There needs to be a driver. They should be clearly identified. They should not be allowed near pedestrian areas when they are first being tested. The city of Vancouver says they are keeping an eye on self-driving pilot projects in cities across North America, but they aren't without issue. Automated vehicles that have just stopped on the street, and it's very hard uh, to get them out of the way. So there's, there's still a number of things, I think, that um, need to be sorted out before we'd be really comfortable uh, testing them out in Vancouver. Until those kinks are ironed out, Vancouverites can expect to see a human behind the wheel. The goal here is zero fatality. Um, so the idea that we would want to gradually see autonomous vehicles and kind of have a learning environment, that's really just not acceptable. There may come a time when automated vehicles are at a point where they're significantly safer than human drivers. And at that point, you know, it might be part of the part of the solution to uh, improving safety on our streets. Troy Charles, Global News. Mechanical issues turned one of the PNE's most famous rides into a walk for more than a dozen people this morning. Fifteen passengers had to walk down the steps that lined the wooden roller coaster. Officials say a belt slipped on the chain that propels the train up the first hill. That caused the train to stop right where it was. And as a result, everyone had to get off and make the walk down while the belt system was repaired. The coaster was back up and running shortly after. It is a 65-year-old ride, um, and so we do expect that there's sometimes, um, you know, the need to um, evaluate or tweak some of the processes within the ride. That's what happened today. Uh, fortunately, again, the ride did exactly what it's designed to do, and, and our staff did a great job of doing what they're trained to do. These things do happen. And they managed to get the thing going by about 12.30 this afternoon. Up next, a temporary reopening at Joffrey Lakes Provincial Park, when it will be accessible again, and the negotiations underway on what happens there next. Plus... Nearly swerved into the ditch, tried correct, and dumped all the hives. The Canadian city abuzz with millions of bees and how some made a beeline to assist in the cleanup.
still a little bit busy for southbound traffic here tonight on Highway 99 to the Massey Tunnel with it slowing down around the Steeston Highway Merge. Get 0.99% financing for up to 60 months on a Sierra 1500 Pro. Visit your local GMC dealer today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Joffrey Lakes Park will be open for the long weekend starting this Friday after being closed by local First Nations last week. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, the reopening is only temporary and what happens next is still being negotiated. Yeah, Joffrey Lakes is here, but the access is extremely restricted. The closure came out of the blue when visitors found Joffrey Lake Park inaccessible last week. <laughs> Many were confused. Just the day or what? Some angry. What? What? All disappointed. Unfortunately, long way to here, but that's how it is, right? The Lilwat and Inquatqua First Nation announced last Thursday that the park would be closed until Truth and Reconciliation Day, September 30th. The nations asserting their title rights on the unceded territory with the intention of harvesting traditional resources. While the government appeared to have supported the unilateral restriction, this week the environment minister indicated negotiations were launched to have the park reopened in a statement saying, at this time, Joffrey Lakes Park will remain inaccessible to the public through Friday, September 1st, while these conversations are underway. According to the Lilwat First Nation, the park will reopen to the public on Friday and close again after the long weekend. The BC United Party says this is indicative of a government failing to meet its obligations on reconciliation, saying this closure should not have caught the NDP off guard. But what we really need to see is, is the government more focused on real reconciliation results versus uh, uh, crisis management uh, jumping from one, one issue to another. Legal opinions are split on whether the First Nations are within their rights to unilaterally limit access to a shared territory but it may set a precedent. Certainly that's what uh, we in our caucus at BC United have been hearing from, from a great many constituents from around this province, wanting to know what does this mean for the parks in their area? What does this mean for the hunting areas? What does this mean uh, for fishing and, and things of that nature? All valid questions. It's not clear when day passes for Joffrey Lakes will be available to the public. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And late this afternoon, the Ministry of Environment and Climate Change Strategy issued a statement saying a reduced number of day passes will be available on a rolling basis for Friday through Labor Day at 7 a.m. tomorrow. Well, this next story is generating a lot of buzz. Police west of Toronto say a load of roughly 5 million bees fell off a truck in Burlington this morning. Drivers were told to keep their car windows shut and pedestrians were asked to avoid the area. The driver of the bee truck says something came into his path on the road and he had to swerve to get out of the way. Nearly swerved into the ditch, tried to correct and dumped all the hives. Right now there's a ton of bees just all over the place. We're waiting for them to calm down, relax, and come back to the hive and hopefully get as many bees out here as safely as possible. The majority of the bees have been safely collected, but some crates were left behind so that the rest can find their way back. Police are thanking several beekeepers who volunteered to help with the cleanup. 
Health Canada has expanded the, its list of energy drinks that are now being recalled due to issues related to caffeine content and bilingual labeling. The recall list is now being expanded to 26 brands. The newest additions include many pop culture themed drinks like Sonic the Hedgehog, Bob Ross, and a Rick and Morty themed drink called Toxic Rick. The department previously announced recalls on major brands including Monster, Prime and the full can version of Five Hour Energy. People are advised not to consume, use, sell, serve or distribute the recalled products. Coming up, inundated by Adalia. That level of storm surge is life threatening. The catastrophic damage done to Florida's panhandle. Plus why tonight's moon will seem a little bigger and brighter. The historically warm waters in the Gulf of Mexico allowed Hurricane Adalia to rapidly intensify along its journey toward Florida's northwestern coast. The storm made landfall as a Category 3 hurricane, bringing catastrophic storm surges, destructive winds, and at least two deaths. Global's Reggie Giacchini has more. This is a region of Florida unaccustomed to the direct impacts of a monstrous hurricane. But on Wednesday, Idalia became the strongest to hit since 1896. Fierce winds topping 200 kilometers an hour at landfall, pushing ocean water five meters above normal levels. That level of storm surge is life-threatening. In the wake of the eye, search and rescue teams were prepared. A situation unfolding for hundreds of kilometers along the coast. A lot of the individuals that were asked, uh, actually ordered to evacuate that didn't stuck in their homes in certain locations. Whoa. States of emergency remain in place, putting both the National Guard and FEMA into action. We're going to want to assess what the total amount of damage is and see what immediate needs need to be put forth in order to help support and start the recovery process. 30,000 linemen have also been deployed to restore power, which struggled to stay on. And it's going to be very, very dangerous. During the governor's morning update. And there we go with our, uh, with our power here. The damage will take time to tally. In 2022, hurricanes set the state back $116 billion U.S., a problem that's been slowly getting worse. Four major hurricanes have hit the state since 2017, forcing insurance companies to pull out. Less than 20% of homes in Florida carry a flood policy. I don't think anybody can deny the impact of the climate crisis anymore. Idalia lashed southern Georgia by midday Wednesday, leaving tens of thousands in the dark and inundated under up to 250 millimeters of rain. We've certainly been in touch with our partners at FEMA. Hurricanes, starting with I, are the most retired storm names, including Ida and Ian, in 2021 and 2022. Idalia's fate is still to be determined. Reggie Chikini, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at a much calmer forecast uh, locally, of course, uh, Yvonne, but uh, still looking for more precipitation <laughs> if we can get it. Yeah, a few spots are actually going to see that and will be unsettled, but we had a nice break from the rainfall through the day today along the west coast and most areas along the south coast even had some breaks in there. A quick snapshot of our current temperatures are sitting at 21 light winds up to 15 kilometers per hour, but they, we do have some precipitation, just a wave of moisture that's moving across the island. This will 
still be on our doorstep and it is going to bring the potential for some showers as we look ahead late this evening and then leading us in towards our Thursday morning and then we're hoping to see some breaks once again towards the afternoon. Area of concern that still has some active weather is the southeastern corners of the province. Also the northeastern corners. We're still tracking some lightning across that region. Wanted to show you what the plan is, especially as we get in through the afternoon. We're hoping to see drier conditions. Highs will be closer to 20 away from the water. Low 20s, but that humid exit's going to feel like 25. Smoky Skies Bulletin is still in effect for the northeastern corners of the province over the next 24 and 48 hours. So those with respiratory issues will still want to try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors. Temperature trend, though, it is going to warm up Friday into Saturday, especially away from the water. will be closer to 27 or upper 20s, closer to 30 degrees, and then a bit of a and the forecast will be on Sunday. That coming up in just a moment. Along the coast tomorrow, we're up to 18 degrees. We've got that widespread smoke for the northeastern corners. The central interior will be looking at local smoke. Showers and a few, a few waves of rain will move its way into the southern interior and a brief break, especially with temperatures into the upper teens and along the south coast and the lower mainland. So we're looking at a chance of showers for tomorrow morning, easing off, breaks in there, and then warming up Friday, Saturday. Start of the long weekend on Saturday, 27. Blip will be Sunday. That's still a few days out. And then on Monday, we've got some cloud cover. All right, tonight's weather window. This one taken from Portage Inlet from Caroline. So very nice. We'll have some uh, good weather windows tomorrow, I would think. With the moon. With the moon. Yes, we've <laughs> all heard the expression. Once in a blue moon. Well, that will be happening tonight. The second full moon in any given month is referred to as a blue moon. But what makes this one special is that it also falls when the moon is at its closest point to the Earth. Hence the super moon moniker. And that means the moon will appear about 14% bigger and 30% brighter than a regular full moon. Find a nice clear unobstructed view off towards the southeast to watch the moon rise just a little bit before 9 p.m. tonight. And that's where you can really even see the moon maybe looking bigger because you're going to experience something called the rising moon illusion where the moon, when it's always rising along the horizon, always appears bigger than when it's higher in the sky. Florian adds, if you see a bright point of light just off to the right of the moon, that is Saturn. And the rings will be visible through a telescope or high-powered binoculars. The next blue moon will happen May 31st, 2026. All right, Squires here now. I don't think blue supermoon has quite the same ring Well, to it. there, are, like for songwriting purposes. There are some famous songs with blue moon in it. Yeah. And I, there's blue moon and blue then there's... Forest. Blue Moon of Kentucky, just keep on shining. But you know which one, which is not Blue Moon, but is one of my favorite songs, is Harvest Moon. That's true. Of course. And then there's uh, Moon Shadow. Oh, Cat Stevens. Moon Dance. So All sorts many of songs. Moon I know. A um, lot of people have sung about the moon. And maybe someone will write a song about a blue supermoon after tonight. What do you have for it us? It doesn't really fit. Does it doesn't fit. There's no ring to it. Well, the uh, Whitecaps are off to a good start in Chicago, so we'll update you on what's going on there. And also, Nathan Rourke has a job in the NFL, but it's not quite the one he was hoping for, but he's still with the Jaguars. All right, also ahead tonight. We'll be paddling 70 or 80 kilometers. From Victoria to Vancouver, the hard way. The BC man trying to paddle his way to a world record later. I'm trying to sort out some like breaking dragon boating news. Right. So from our 
crack reporter who happens to be related From to our you. Dragon Boating Bureau. Yes. So I'm going to let you take it away okay. with white caps. And you, you figure that out. Okay. okay. So winning on the road is not an easy thing to do in Major League Soccer, and I'm really not sure why. Maybe the away teams have to stay at noisy hostels rather than nice hotels. Vancouver has won only two games in the road this year, but they did win their last one against Portland. And tonight they're in Chicago against a team that, quite frankly, the Whitecaps could beat if they play their best. And, of course, the Whitecaps do have Ryan Gold right now, and he's been going great these days. He's one of the hottest players in MLS. Maybe not Lionel Messi hot, but he's still pretty hot. City. And there he is right there. But he has to face off against a former Whitecap, Kai Kamara, who has a great chance to score here, but Takayoka stops him. And Kamara nearly throws up at that one. But then he would have another chance here, Kai Kamara. Goes scissor kick, and no, doesn't even hit the net. All right, what about the Whitecaps? The aforementioned Ryan Gold. He's about to become the Whitecaps' all-time MLS leader in assists because he sets up his buddy Brian White for a goal, and this one just gets over the line. And I mean just to give Vancouver a 1-0 lead in the 19th minute. One thing about the Whitecaps, they're not afraid to attack, and they would have a shot at a second goal, and it would be Ryan Gold. And this is basically... A breakaway for Gold. Nice pass. He makes a move on the keeper, but he runs out of room and hits the side of the net. I wonder if that miss will come back to haunt Vancouver in the second half. They did go into the half, leading 1-0. They're still leading 1-0 early in the second 45. Okay, we said this earlier this year. The BC Lions have no middle ground. They're either great or they're awful. When they win, they look really good. They look like Grey Cup contenders. When they lose, they make you wonder if what we saw before when they were winning was a mirage, or maybe the bad Lions are a mirage. They have lost a couple of games in a row. They got Montreal on Saturday in Montreal. One of the issues the Lions do seem to have is a bit of a lack of discipline. They take a lot of penalties. They have to cut down on that, and they can't lose concentration at the wrong times. Our team has shown throughout the year that when things aren't going right, you know, uh, we kind of put our get down on ourselves or get in a uh, sort of a rut. So, you know, we got to find a way to uh, be able to react when things aren't going right and then when things are going right, just continue to, to play good ball. You know, for us, you know, uh, losing two games in a row, you know, everyone's hard on each other. Or everyone's sad about it, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we got a big opportunity that, this week. You know, a lot of teams will die to be 7-4 and four, uh, as opposed to teams that are – four and five or four and six or four and seven. So for us, it's just getting back on that mindset of uh, winning football, pretty much treating it as a, a must win. That's how I look at it. So Nathan Rourke was available to anybody in the NFL who wanted him after he was released by Jacksonville on Monday, but no other team in the NFL was interested. So the Jaguars were happy to bring Rourke back to be on their practice roster, which essentially means he's Jacksonville's third-string quarterback. Now, you might be wondering, why would nobody else give him a chance? Well, a lot of coaches in the NFL would be very skeptical of a CFL player and preseason success because in those exhibition games, Rourke didn't play against first-string defenses. NFL coaches would need a lot more convincing before taking a chance on a player like Rourke. But he will learn 
on the Jags practice roster. His reputation will grow, and if somebody gets hurt, he could play this year. Blue Jays at home with an afternoon game against the Washington Nationals, the former Montreal Expos. And this is Alejandro Kirk in the first inning. This is a double off the wall. Toronto got a great pitching performance by Chris Bassett. That was really the only thing they would need is those two runs, but they got five more and they win 7-0 over Washington, which I've misspelled because I forgot a G. Last night, Langley Thunder, New Westminster Salmon Bellies, Game 7 at the Western Lacrosse Association Championship at the venerable Queen's Park Arena, the only place you can play a Game 7 in the Western Lacrosse. You would think it's got so much history. Will Malcolm with the goal there, Mitch Jones, and the uh, Salmon Bellies won at 12-7. And they are now hosting the Man Cup. Interestingly enough, the Salmon Bellies have won more Man Cups than any team in lacrosse in this country, 24, but they haven't won one since 1991. The Eastern teams have really dominated the last uh, 16 Man Cups. I think they won 15 of the last 16. You know who else is dominant? Yes, go. Team Canada is at, dominant. At the Dragon Boat Championship. At the World Dragon Boat Championship was just uh, held in Thailand and Canada paddled their way to, oh, do we have the, hang on, 52 goals. Here's, there's like 300 um, paddlers who went to this from Team Canada alone. 52 gold, 36 silver, 13 bronze. So they won 101 medals in 351 races. And they also competed for the first time in the para-dragon division. So that's a milestone. So our dragon moment. boaters basically gave the entire planet a paddling. Very well said. Thank you. Very well said. Thank you. Congratulations, Team Canada. Yes. Up next, a world record attempt in the Strait of Georgia. We'll meet the man trying to paddle his way into history as well. Jordan Armstrong is here with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, tonight, Surrey thieves using a vehicle as a battering ram to break into businesses. We know of at least two consignment stores that have been hit recently. The damage, as you can see there, is extensive. At 11, you'll see surveillance video of one of the break-ins. Plus, why, despite insurance, it's still a huge blow to the bottom line for the small businesses. Also tonight, Nanaimo RCMP are searching for a woman who may be with a wanted man. These stories tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. A Vancouver extreme sports enthusiast is at this very moment trying to paddle his way into the world record books. He's trying to cross the Strait of Georgia on a paddleboard. And as Kylie Stanton reports, this is not exactly the career path he first set out on. <laughs> Jerry Zhang knows a thing or two about drafting a plan and seeing it through. I was an architect for pretty much most of my life. Every time I'm in the office, I'm just thinking about wanting to be on the water, to be outside. So he traded in the desk job for a board and paddle and made a new plan. This one for the record books. And we'll be paddling 70 or 80 kilometers depending on wind and wave conditions. Preparations got underway early Wednesday in Victoria, where Zhang was set to launch. His crew of seven ready to document his path by boat. The main concern is the Jerry's safety. And we're going to be the energizer. We're going to cheer for him. We will support him at any time. 
the route that starts at the Oak Bay Marina and crosses the Georgia Strait before arriving at Tawasin Beach is expected to take roughly 13 hours in total. Guinness has the world record set at 14 hours, so I'm hoping to, to beat it. It will mean everything, uh, especially, you know, that I'm not a professional athlete. So to be able to achieve something like this is, is really something. Given the intense physical training Zhang has endured, along with the mental strength required to accomplish such a feat, there is no doubt he's ready. 100% chance. We believe Jerry. But the hope is the challenge will also inspire others to adopt eco-friendly practices for a more environmentally sustainable lifestyle. I feel like that people are more involved with the environment if they are actively participating in it. It's all connected. As is the timing of this attempt that just so happens to coincide with the appearance of a rare blue moon. There's a saying, once in a blue moon, right? What may be just the energy Zeng needs to finally see this plan through. Someone who has an architectural background trying to, you know, break a Guinness World Record, that's, that could be described as once in a blue moon. <laughs> Kylie Stanton, Global News. What did you say, Squire, about... Well, I, I think that's very impressive, and obviously this guy's a great athlete. But there are people who've been stuck in ferry lines. I bet you if you gave them that chance, they'd probably try it as well. I can get home faster if that's I do true. it this way. There are some people this summer who probably did spend 13 hours. I did seven crossing. hours. That was quite <laughs> Yeah, something. exactly, yeah. you did. Yeah. All right, I don't know, quick word on the weather. A uh, few showers possible <laughs> and then hot for Friday, Saturday so far. All right, thanks for joining us tonight. <laughs> Have a great night, everyone.